Well, good morning, and again, welcome to Fellowship Bible Church. If you're a guest with us this morning, we're very glad you are with us. We uh, have been studying the book of Isaiah here for uh, this year. Uh, last week, uh, if you were here, you heard our youth pastor, Dennis McNutt, uh, share a great message on, uh, in chapter 40. We've worked our way up to chapter 40 of Isaiah. And then uh, Ben Adams, one of our uh, members here, did a recitation of Isaiah 40. It was as if, if you missed it, you have to go online and, and just catch the whole message and, and what the Ben did. But he, it was as if Isaiah showed up here and, uh, and was speaking to us uh, from Isaiah 40. Uh, so very well done. I thank them for that. Dennis explained to us how as we get in this this second half of the book of Isaiah, 40, chapter 40 through 66, that Isaiah is writing to people who hadn't even been born yet. He's writing to people who maybe over 100, 150 years later would be living. God's people living not in the comforts of their own homes in, in Israel or in Judah, in Jerusalem, but they were captives. They had been ripped from their home, separated from their families, and they were languishing as slaves in Babylon. And those are the people, that's the audience that Isaiah is focusing on in chapters 40 through 66. And so we look at a verse like uh, Dennis did last week, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27, the people say, why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. The justice due me escapes the notice of my God. This was a, a very real, visceral, agonizing cry from the heart of these people a hundred some years later. Slaves in Babylon. It's, it's as if we're living in a world where, God, we're your chosen people, but our way is hidden from you. It's like you don't even see us. You don't even know we're agonizing, languishing in, in, in Babylon. Lord, where are you? And as Dennis shared last week, in Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah's words were powerful to point them to God. Behold your God. To transfer the eyes of their heart off of their circumstances onto a glorious God. Behold your God. You see, persecution and, and suffering, it, it, it can either drive us towards the heart of God or it can push us away from God in bitterness. Today, the first Sunday of, of November, is typically designated as a day to remember the persecuted church. We're going to spend some time this morning to do just that. According to Many reports, it's estimated that some 200 million Christians right now, this year, are suffering severe persecution, severe persecution in the form of, of losing their homes and even losing their lives, severe persecution. Another ministry, a ministry called Open Doors that kind of keeps track of the persecuted church says that, and their low estimate is on average about 350 Christians are killed, martyred every month 
around the world. Some of those estimates go as high as 1,000 Christians a month are losing their lives because they name the name of Jesus Christ. This is serious. In fact, of the millions of that number, 200 million, 60% are children. This is going on right now. I mean, we're here in the comforts of this building and sitting in the soft chairs and getting our holy face on. You know, we look nice and dressed up nice, but Christians around the world are dying because of Jesus Christ. Recently, we have received some information, some uh, correspondence from some of the people that we work with around the world. And it is disturbing. It's real, um, but it is disturbing what's happening. One nation that I will not mention by name, uh, but it's an Asian nation where uh, the body of Christ is suffering in an increased way. And last month, well, early September, we got word with one of the people that we work with He and his wife had been arrested. They were meeting in their meeting place, and suddenly about 30 police showed up and uh, beat him severely, tased her, um, um, had trucks that came and took away everything in their home and, and everything that belonged to the gathering of the church. Uh, they remained uh, in jail for 14 days, about two weeks, uh, not quite 14 days. Again, interrogated, and when released, we're told they cannot stay in that city. And they are now displaced, figuring out where they're going to live next. This is real. This is, this is happening uh, in this world. Um, there are many, many reports of that particular country that are coming in. We can't mention it, but um, it's just they're, they're put in danger every day. Or we could, we could talk about uh, Africa and specifically Nigeria. Scott McManigal and Jim Poole, our missions pastors, were in Africa last month training a large number of African pastors, which is what we do here. Um, at Fellowship Bible Church in our global missions ministry. And Nigeria is one of the most populated, in fact, I think the most populous uh, nation in Africa. Uh, But they're going through times of great suffering. There are, uh, certainly in the northern part of Nigeria, but there are two states in kind of the midsection there. Um, The Kaduna state, which is in red here, right next to it is uh, the Plateau state. And again, there is real persecution going on. Um, One of the couples that we work with who have been here at Fellowship Bible Church, you may remember Joshua and Melissa uh, Yokubu. They told us uh, this week in a correspondence of some of the things that are happening in that central part of Nigeria. And folks, it's not a pretty picture at all. Uh, We have talked here before about the radical Islamic group called Boko Haram. It's been on the news for a number of years. Boko Haram that comes into these villages and, and um, kill Christians. 
there's another group that is um, doing the very same thing. In fact, um, according to the people we connect with and the people we work with in Nigeria and in that part of Africa, it's probably worse than Boko Haram. They're called Faluni, Faluna um, tribesmen. They're, they're a, a nomadic tribes people, the Faluni. The president of Nigeria is a Faluni Muslim. Uh, there are some very desperate situations that are happening. Joshua, who they live in the Plateau State, they, they were from the Kaduna State. Joshua wrote us this week. He said, pray for God's intervention and protection upon the Christians in Plateau and Kaduna states where recently there's been constant attacks. He said Christians are being kidnapped and huge amounts of money are being demanded for ransom and many young Christian girls are being kidnapped and then forced to become Muslim. Many Christians are being killed. A recent attack in a town in the Kaduna state claimed the lives of over 200 people. What, what, what is happening is that these Faluni tribesmen, they're nomadic, they come into these areas uh, that are unprotected because the government security forces will not protect the villages because the president is a Fulani. And they come in and they seize the property, they take the livestock, and then they kill the Christians. When Scott McManigal and Jim Poole, our missions guys, were there last month, they sat and heard uh, an interview, uh, 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 one of the pastors from that area, and he chronicled, he reported uh, village after village. He said, we've got it on, on uh, video. He said, in this town, he named the town, five Christians were killed. And in this town, 10 Christians were killed last month. And up here, there were 20. And up here, all the, the villages, were, the, the village homes were burned. In this time, he just went on and on and on. This is real, folks. This is happening right now. People who know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior are dying because they know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And these are, are folks we work with. These are friends of ours. Joshua went on to explain that uh, what makes this situation worse is the fact that they're not getting help and protection from the government. In February, there will be an election in Nigeria. And so the prayer is that this president will be voted out and someone else can be voted in and maybe um, better security will be there. But until then, it's a desperate situation. In the last six months, I read this, in the last six months, something like uh, over 6,000 Christians have been killed in parts of Nigeria. Um, Again, the, these are people we work with. Uh, these are people, this is real. This is going on in their life right now. Let me take you to Pakistan. We've reported numerous times of the, the people, the pastors that we work with in that region. Um, we have stopped going to Pakistan directly because it's dangerous. We, when we meet with these pastors and uh, these Pakistani pastors, we bring them out uh, typically to Dubai and we'll be there with them and, and, and meet with them and encourage them and, and do training with them so they can go back to their churches. But they tell us all the time. I mean, they live in communities surrounded by people that want them dead every day. That's just par for the course. I, 
Can you, can you understand that? It's almost unfathomable. And the news this week, I don't know if you caught this, it's, I, some of the news outlets reported it. A young Christian mom, mother, who had been held for almost nine years, her name is Asia Bibi, in Pakistan. She's been held, imprisoned, and on basically death row, they want her dead. And you want to know why? Have you read this? I mean, we, we live oftentimes with our head in the sand as believers in America. We don't know what's going on in the world, yet it's there. Asia Bibi has been jailed for all these years because she drank out of the same cup that she had offered a Muslim co-worker. And they want to execute her for that, except a high court in Pakistan exonerated her this week. It was in the news. She, she, she was set free. And do you know what's going on in Pakistan right now? Riots! Riots in the street because a high court in Pakistan let out a Christian mom who had simply given a cup of water to a Muslim co-worker. Every day, every day this goes on. Christians in Pakistan are in grave danger. Let me share with you a true story from India. We've been going to India for many years. My first uh, uh, missions trip as a young pastor some 30, over 30 years ago was to India. But things are changing in India. It's in the news. Uh, the president, the, the premier, the, the head of the state of India is of the Hindu Nationalist Party. And it's a very radical party that wants to silence all other religions, wants to keep Christianity silenced. And things are heating up in India. Scott and Jim, our missions pastors, just uh, a few weeks ago had planned to go to India. And we go there often. Uh, they were going to do some, again, training of Indian pastors and speak at the seminary that we have participated in and and as they applied for the visas, this is just last month, as they applied for the visas, they had another document that they had to sign, and it was a document saying that they would not engage in religious activity while traveling in India. First time that's ever happened. And so they had to cancel the trip. What are you going to do, lie? So they canceled the trip. That's the first time that that's happened. Why? Because... Hindu nationalism is on the rise to silence Christians. These are desperate days that we're living in around the world. But let's not be ignorant. Winds of change are blowing in this own country, in the good old U.S. of A., there's a growing movement to silence biblical Christianity here as well. A recent column written by a New York Times far-left columnist, Frank Bruni, and if you've ever read his stuff, it's always kind of out there. In his column, 
He had written how evangelical beliefs, evangelical Christian beliefs need to be relegated to, quote, the pews, the homes, and the hearts, but not to the public square. That's a growing view, by the way. You're hearing this more and more, that evangelical Christian beliefs need to be relegated to within our four walls, the pews, within your homes, the homes, and, and within your hearts, but not in the public square, silencing the Christians. You, you hear these little catchphrases in, in more and more about we believe in the right to worship, freedom to worship. That's a little catchphrase that says, we believe you have the right to worship in your pews, in your homes, and in your hearts, but not in the public square. It's all far different phraseology than the freedom of religion that our forefathers said. And by the way, we have an election on Tuesday. <laughs> and it would be incumbent upon God's people as Mike has already encouraged us to go vote and to participate in this democratic process and vote wisely. Winds of change are coming. So, so what's a proper response? What's a proper response? When Isaiah shares the, the heart of these, these people uh, in slavery. Lord, our way is hidden from you. The, the justice due us is escaping the notice of our God. And that's a prayer that people, Christian people around the world can be praying because they're experiencing it. It's a prayer that we may be praying one day. What, so, so what's our response? What is God's people, um, how do we respond in these situations? What are we to do? This is questions that our friends around the world are asking. In, in Joshua's letter to us last week, uh, he said the challenge the Nigerian Christians uh, are encountering are just so numerous, we just need God to fight for us. So please pray that he'll intervene for us. They don't know what to do. In his letter, he mentioned how some of the Christian youth are rising up and taking weapons, and they said, we're not putting up with this Boko Haram, this Fuluni stuff anymore. And they're taking up weapons. And that is very concerning for the religious leaders, for the, for the leaders in Nigeria. What, what does God want us to do? How do we respond in this situation? Let, let me just mention four words real quickly. Four words. Here's the first one. Expect. Expect. Because 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 tells us, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul is saying that persecution comes not because of the godlessness within the church. It comes because of the godliness of the church. The more we live godly lives, the more, Paul says, you can expect to be persecuted. Why? Well, I mean, we could turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, that tells us our battle is not against flesh and blood, right? It's, it's against principalities and rulers and powers of darkness, spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. This is a spiritual warfare that we're engaged in. 
And as God's people proclaim the goodness of God and, and, and rise up as godly people to, to voice our hearts cry to God, persecution comes. Expect it. Don't be surprised. Even in this country, let's not be surprised when it happens. Here's a second word. It's the word bless. Because Paul tells us again in Romans chapter 12, verse 14, bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse. <laughs> bless those who persecute you and bless and do not. Maybe, maybe Paul was thinking of the day when as a young Pharisee in Jerusalem, he was holding the, the coats of his elders who were picking up stones to kill Stephen, that first Christian martyr, as recorded in the book of Acts. And he heard with his own ears, coming out of the voice of this man as he's dying, Father, forgive them. Maybe Paul, as he writes this, is referring to and thinking of Jesus who, hanging on the cross, put there by evil men, hanging on the cross, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Here Paul says, you want to know how to live in a world that is hell-bent on silencing and persecuting God's people? You bless them. Man, that's a far cry from so many times of what we're hearing today. Where Christians are responding with anger and vitriol and fists in people's face, and they can't do that to us. Oh, bless those and curse not. Here's a third word love. Because Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. In fact, turn with me to that passage in Luke chapter 6, just for a moment. Luke chapter 6, and this, this great sermon of, uh, on the plain of, of Jesus. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. He said, I, I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. And then he goes on in verse 28 similar to what Paul said. He said, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. Um, Christianity Today is a, is a Christian publication. I think it was this week or recent, the last couple of weeks. Uh, in Christianity Today, one of their articles was, entire, was entitled something to the effect, um, when there are no more cheeks to turn. And it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a, um, an article about the persecution going on in the world today. Offer the other also. Whoever takes, verse 29, whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Verse 30, give to everyone who asks of you. Whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Verse 31, treat others the same way you want them to treat you. You want marching orders at a day of persecution? There it is. There are seven things that Jesus says reflects his heart. You love your enemies. You do good to those who hate you. You bless those who curse you. You pray for those who mistreat you. You don't retaliate. 
You give freely as they seize it. You treat others the way you want to be treated. And Jesus goes on. He says in uh, verse 32, if you love those who love you, well, what, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And verse 33, if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that? For even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, big deal. Even sinners do that. But verse 35, but love your enemies and do good and, and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great. Your reward, you see, when we're so focused on living in this life and amassing our own things here and then they come and seize it, of course there's going to be bitterness because that's mine. But we forget about the reward that is yet to come. So Jesus says, just let it go. You're sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to, un, to the ungrateful and the evil men. Verse 36, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. And by saying that, Jesus is saying, you want to act like God? Then do what God would do. And he's just given us a list. And so we expect it's going to happen, and we bless when it does, and we love others. By the way, that list, it, it's, these, these are all actions, right? This is nothing passive. This is not, hey, let's kind of get away in our little cave and, you know, up on the mountaintop. And, uh, and uh, th this is action. This is engagement to people who are persecuting us. And so we expect and we bless and we love. And here's a fourth word, we trust. And that brings us back to the words of Isaiah. And in that last paragraph in Isaiah, chapter 40, he said, yet those who wait upon the Lord, those who, who wait, who rest in Him, who trust Him, will gain new strength. And they will mount up with wings like eagles, and they will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. This was Isaiah's word to a suffering, hurting, persecuted band of slaves in a foreign country. Trust upon the Lord. Let me share again a portion of a letter that we got this week from one of our key leaders in this Asian country that we work with. To be a Christian in this country means you're going to lose many privileges that other citizens have, but as Christians, we're already used to this. And so we do not argue against this because we believe He is faithful in keeping His people when unbelievers are not treating us fairly. And we believe that whatever happens to us is all in His control. And we believe all things are working together for the good of His people. We just rest in the Lord and His finished work for His people and then we just sit back and see how the Lord fights for His people in these difficult situations. <sighs> Could we say that? Would we say that? I will never forget sitting in a chapel service during my seminary days as a young kid. It was the beginning chapel service of that fall semester and one of our beloved professors had been out that summer ministering 
in a particular portion of the world that was very anti-Christian. He had come face to face with people who were suffering and being persecuted for their faith. I will never forget him getting up in chapel that um, late August day and with tears in his eyes and a faltering voice he shared the stories of the, of the faith and of the, the strength of, of, the, of the Christian people going through such intense persecution. And then, and I will never forget this, he shocked us by saying, and I come back to our country, and I come back to this seminary, and I ask God, how in the world can we get a persecution going on here? Because the church in America desperately needs to be enlivened. We offer so many things here as a church to the people we partner with around the world. We're involved in translation works. We, we get materials out to them that they really, really use and, and need. We're helping establish churches, we're, and we, we're there with our personal presence to encourage them and walk with them. Folks, there are believers in very difficult situations around the world who this morning know that there's a church in Winchester, Virginia, by the name of Fellowship Bible Church that cares for them, loves them, and is supporting them. We offer a lot, but you know what? These people are offering us a lot. They're offering us an example of how you live in desperate times of persecution. And so what are we to do? What are we to practically do as a body of believers? Well, let me mention a couple of things, like, first of all, be informed. Let's be informed of what's going on in the world. Let's not live with our head in the stand. Let's be more aware of what brothers and sisters in Christ are doing. We, we've got uh, one of our little recipe cards. It's new for the month of November, and it's out there in our home center. And it's a recipe card that emphasizes how to pray for the persecuted church. Gives a, uh, an update of some things um, and some specific things of some of uh, the places that we work. Go back after the service and grab one of these. It's, it's something you can take at home and you can um, go through with your family, yourself, keep it in your Bible. On, on the bottom of it, on the back page, it's websites for updates. So one is... Um, uh, our own uh, website, so you can be in touch with what's happening to the people we're involved with. There's persecution.com, there, uh, which is by Voice of the Martyrs. There's uh, opendoors.org. Uh, so grab one of these things. Let's be informed. I mean, this is happening right, right now, right today around the world. Second of all, give. <laughs> Support and may I be bold to say, we, we just never say this, and, and so I'm not going to apologize for saying it this morning. Give to Fellowship Bible Church, all right? Give to this church, not your 2%, not your 5%. Give your 10%. How about some sacrificial giving in a big-time way to support this church 
who is doing this work around the world. Lisa and I were last Sunday visiting a church that will remain nameless down in Florida, and it's one we have visited before, and uh, it's a church almost identical to our size, about 1,200 some in worship attendance, very similar budget, something like whatever it is, two, two and a half million dollars a year budget. And it was the end of their fiscal year, which was like September 30th and October 1st began the new year. And so that last Sunday, one of the elders got up to share kind of a budget talk and fill the people in a little bit what's going on fiscally. Do you know how much that church is giving to global missions? I was shocked. Last year in their budget, a church our size, $2.5 million budget, $10,000. And they were trusting the Lord to increase it to $40,000. Now, if you're a guest with us this morning, just, I just want to let you in, uh, understand this. We took an offering up about a half hour ago, right? 20% of the take on Sunday morning goes to global missions here at Fellowship Bible Church. That's about four hundred dollars to $500,000 a year goes to support in terms of our salaries, in terms of our ministries, our translation work, our travel, almost $500,000 a year. I, we don't say that in a prideful way. We just say, years ago, the elders of this church said, we, we want to give a double tithe to what God is doing around the world. And sometimes it may stretch us a little bit in some of our ministries here. But we're in faith, that's what we're doing. But it requires that you, as members and attenders, give and give generously and give sacrificially to the work that's going on here and to then rejoice to be a part of a church that has such a hands-on global ministry to encourage people around the world. So be informed and, and give generously, generously. And thirdly, may I suggest without saying, should go without saying, I guess, but pray. Go back and get that little recipe card and be aware of what's going on and get on our website and some of the prayer requests that we list there. Be informed of what's going on with, with a Joshua and Melissa Yakubu or, or a Simon and Ruth Yako and our people in Pakistan and different parts of the world. Pray. They desperately need that and they, they, they ask for it and they, they want it. They want our prayers. And as we close this morning, we're going to do that. We're going to do it as a congregation. And Scott McManigal, our missions pastor, is going to come. And right now, he's going to lead us in prayer. And let's unite our hearts together and talk with the Father about the persecuted church. <clears throat> uh, let's pray. Father in heaven, we, uh, we join our hearts together as a body, and we come before your throne of grace on the behalf of the persecuted church. Lord, you know the atrocities that are being committed against your people in certain parts of the world every day. People are being imprisoned, tortured, and even murdered just for being followers of Christ. In John 15, Jesus said, 
If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they did not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. And so today, Lord, as we pray for the persecuted, we don't, we don't doubt what you're able to do. We know that you are the sovereign God and creator of all things. You have the right and the ability to control every and any circumstance that comes into anyone's life. And so we know, Lord, that just because your children are living in persecution every day, that it doesn't mean that you're not in control. It doesn't mean that you have no power to divinely intervene. Lord, we also don't doubt your heart. 1 John 4 says that you are love. Love is the essence of who you are, and your word is filled with all kinds of promises and statements and testimonies that clearly proclaim the great love that you have for your children. We don't doubt your love for the persecuted, even though you continue to allow them uh, to experience persecution. We also don't doubt your wisdom. Your word states that your foolishness is wiser than man's wisdom. And again, the scriptures are filled with many examples of you showing that to be true. There are many examples in your word of wicked men thinking they are wiser than you and can thwart your plans, only to find out that they were actually being used by you to accomplish an even bigger plan. And so, Lord, we don't, we don't doubt your wisdom because of your people being allowed to remain in persecution. But Lord, what we do pray for is we pray for these dear people. We pray for them in the midst of the suffering and the torture and the pain and the sorrow and the death. that you and your power and love and wisdom has seen fit to allow to come into their lives. We pray that in the midst of their persecution, you'll give them grace to endure. We pray that you'll grant unto them an unwavering confidence in your love for them. That even though what they're experiencing sometimes makes it difficult for them to see your love, that still because of the great and precious promises in your word that they will unwaveringly know that you love them fully. We pray that you and your great and precious promises will be the joy that is set before them and not the things of this earth. And lastly, Lord, we pray that you will use their testimony of steadfast trust in you while enduring such horrible circumstances to draw many others to Christ. And we know, Lord, that, that that is happening in many places around the world, that there are many testimonies of 
people coming to you, people coming to Christ because of persecuted Christians remaining steadfast in, in their trust and dependence upon you. And, and so, Lord, we as American Christians, we, we live in such comfort. We live in much comfort that the rest of the world doesn't experience, not only in terms of our abundance, but more importantly in terms of our freedoms. Many languages around the world don't have your word translated yet, and yet we have umpteen different versions of the Bible sitting on our shelves at home, the complete word of God. Many Christians aren't free to meet, worship, and study your word like we are. And Lord, you've seen fit to bring us as a body, as a church, into partnership and fellowship with some that are being persecuted in Pakistan, China, Nigeria, and India. And so, Lord, we pray that you will continue to use us in any way that you see fit to help comfort and encourage them in the midst of their persecution. And, Lord, we pray that you will use us in any way that you see fit to play a role in seeking to evangelize those that are being the, the persecutors uh, around the world. And, Lord, we just unite our hearts together and ask these things because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.